2: This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
3: We know it's you, Henderson. You've been killing women all over the city, haven't you? I've done no such thing. Two eyewitnesses place you with Sadie Holly on the night she died. Her throat cut wide open. I knew her, but I didn't kill her. The heel of your foot matches a print found near Holly's body. Lots
4: of people's heels look like heel prints. Besides, I live in the area.
3: So what if it is my footprint? (laughs) Lives in the area. Why'd it take us so long to find you? Maybe you're bad at your job. If I was bad at my job, I wouldn't have an eyewitness who says that you stabbed her. What? That's right, Henderson. We've got you dead to rights. You're the Ripper, and you're going to fry for this.
2: This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Parcast Original. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
0: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every episode, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder— and try to solve the case.
2: You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unsolved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search
0: bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network.
2: This is our final episode on the Atlanta Ripper. In part one, we covered the beginning of the killing spree and the racial bias that allowed the Ripper to kill indiscriminately through 1911.
0: Today, we'll cover the end of the Ripper's murder streak and why efforts to stop the killings ended in failure.
2: From 1909 through 1915, at least 20 Black women in Atlanta were brutally murdered. The perpetrator was thought to be a serial killer dubbed the Atlanta Ripper.
0: The killings were largely overlooked by the white-owned newspapers and the white-run police department. But over time, they became so shocking and so numerous, they no longer could be ignored.
2: The leaders of Black and white communities of Atlanta began pressuring the police to catch the Ripper. In response, the police arrested their first two suspects in July 1911, Henry Huff and Todd Henderson.
0: Henry Huff was a 27-year-old man who had been seen with one of the victims, Sadie Holly, on the night that she died. Upon his arrest, his clothing was stained with blood, his head had suffered a gash, and his arms were scratched up.
2: Huff claimed his injuries and bloody clothing had come from a barroom brawl but police speculated that they could have resulted from Sadie's efforts to fight back.
0: This was all the evidence the police had gathered against Tuff. Their case against Todd Henderson, however, was much more substantial.
2: Two eyewitnesses had seen Henderson with Sadie Hawley on the night of her death. His foot also matched a heel print found near her body, and he lived near several of the murder sites.
0: The most damning evidence against Henderson, though, was eyewitness testimony from a woman named Emma Lou Sharp. She exchanged a few words with the Ripper before he stabbed her in the back and ran away. Emma Lou identified Henderson as the man who had stabbed her and the man who had killed her mother, Lena Sharp.
2: Yet Henderson's defense was perhaps the most interesting part of his case.
3: She heard your voice, Henderson. You're the Ripper. Admit it. I'm not a killer. If I
4: was, my wife would have been the first to go. Your... your wife? Ask her yourself. Okay.
0: Upon hearing Henderson's claims, the detective spoke with his wife, who had some frightening stories to tell.
3: Hello, Mrs. Henderson.
5: Todd in trouble again?
3: We think so. We'd just like to ask you... Do you think your husband is capable of harming you?
5: (laughs) Capable? He's already tried, didn't you pull his arrest records? Y'all brought him in for cutting me before.
3: We have. Why did he try to kill you?
5: That was our business then,
3: and it's our business now. Oh. My apologies. Does he still want to kill you?
5: Probably. Just the other week he followed me all the way to the police station to make sure I wasn't talking to you
3: people. Sounds like a real
2: gentleman. Henderson's violent nature was plain for the police to see, but ironically, his alibi made some sense.
0: The police certainly believed Henderson was capable of being the Ripper, but it seemed like he was telling the truth. He probably would have killed his own wife long before he killed any other women.
2: Despite this added layer of doubt, the police kept Henderson in lockup as they continued the investigation.
0: Around this time the community of Atlanta placed even more pressure on the authorities to stop the Ripper. A petition requesting that the government offer a reward for the Ripper's capture reached the desk of General Clifford Anderson, the chairman of the Fulton County Commission.
2: General Anderson signed the petition granting the citizens of Atlanta their first recognition of the crisis from a government official.
0: General Anderson then sent the petition on to the governor of Georgia, Hoke Smith, who agreed to consider the matter despite his explicitly racist campaign promises during the 1907 election. Even white supremacists in the highest government offices were being forced to recognize that black citizens were in danger. To many Atlantans, it seemed the end of the carnage was finally in sight.
2: Not wanting to be outdone... Cortland Wynn, the mayor of Atlanta, held a press conference to express his own concerns. Just why the police have not been able to hold down the unusual
1: number of crimes reported in the city in the past few weeks, why the detectives have not been able to apprehend the criminals, and why the police are unable to cope with the situation is more than I can understand. But these things I am going to find out if there is any possible way.
0: The mayor then called the chief of police, Henry Jennings, to a meeting where he could ask these questions in person.
1: What is going on? The city's in chaos. What do you expect?
3: We're bootstrapped here. That's not good enough, Chief Jennings. You need to stop this crime wave. Mr. Mayor, the police department is handicapped by its small size, but even if we had more men, we could not stop crime. If that's the case, Then what can you do? You need to do something. We have two suspects in custody, and we've got eight undercover detectives working night shifts in the affected areas. We're doing all we can.
1: Yes. Well, I suppose that'll have to be good enough, then. Let's hope you've already caught the guy, eh?
2: Let's hope so. Though Chief Jennings admitted the Atlanta PD could do very little to stop the killings... The city was at least reassured that he was trying. He would soon get assistance from the state itself.
0: On July 14th, Governor Hoke Smith announced that the state government was offering $250, worth nearly $7,000 today, to any person whose information could lead to the arrest and capture of the Atlanta Ripper.
2: After the announcement of this award, more information began to pour into the police department, specifically about their prime suspect, Todd Henderson.
5: I saw Henderson with Sadie Holly at the lodging lounge on Decatur Street the night before she died, and you know what? He was looking for her that night too. I saw them together around eleven fifteen
1: p.m.
4: I saw them on my streetcar at twelve fifty-five a.m
0: at least four different people had seen Todd Henderson with Sadie Holly on the night of her death, one of them after midnight. It seemed likely that Henderson was not only the last person to see Holly alive, but quite possibly her killer as well.
2: More evidence also surfaced to implicate Henderson in the murder of Lena Sharp and the attempted murder of her daughter, Emma Lou. This latest information came from a refreshment stand owner named George Brooks. I heard y'all were looking for the Atlanta Ripper. I've got something that might interest you. Please, tell us what you know. The night of the stabbing, I was working in my refreshment stand. I heard that poor girl scream. A short time after, I saw Todd Henderson come from that same direction. Fascinating.
3: We'll be sure to log- And
2: that's not all! Henderson dropped this on the ground as he walked away. A bloody rag? A bloody rag.
0: In addition to these new leads, as the investigation progressed, the cops discovered Henderson had lied to them.
3: Mrs. Henderson, your husband told us some pretty peculiar things.
5: What tale is he telling
3: now? He claims that he's never owned a razor blade or a pocket knife.
5: <laughs> That's horse, Pucky. I borrowed that man's pocket knife the week before Sadie was killed.
3: Uh huh. And what about a razor? Does the man shave?
5: Of course he does. Now that I think about it. He even took the razor to get it sharpened that Tuesday.
2: The day after the murder? The evidence was stacking up against Henderson, and while it was all technically circumstantial, Atlanta became more and more convinced that the Ripper had finally been captured.
0: Yet a new twist in the case would leave those hopes dashed, and Atlanta desperate once more.
2: We'll see how the Ripper avoids justice after this. This episode is
4: brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com.
2: Now, back to the story.
0: By late July of 1911, public pressure had finally pushed Atlanta city government to respond to the serial killings. They had arrested two suspects and gathered a substantial amount of circumstantial evidence indicating that Todd Henderson was the Atlanta Ripper.
2: By August, the Fulton County Prosecutor's Office felt they had acquired enough evidence to bring Henry Huff and Todd Henderson to trial. Hedging their bets, on August 9th, both Henry Huff and Todd
0: Henderson were indicted for the murder of Sadie Hawley. The prosecutors considered putting Henderson on trial for the murder of Lena Sharp, but Henderson's defense attorneys put serious dents in the prosecution's case. Emma
3: Lou Sharp identified him as the man that stabbed her. He has to be the one who killed her mother.
1: Au contraire. Emma said he was the man who stabbed her, quote, To the best of her knowledge, she herself admitted that it was dark out. Too dark to see Henderson's face clearly. When she heard his voice, she recoiled in horror. And yet, she still could not confirm his identity with confidence. You're an experienced prosecutor. You should know this case is bunk. What about the other witness? The bloody rag? Both only appeared after a reward was offered. Neither claim can be proven true in a court of law.
3: Damn it, you're right.
0: What had seemed like an open and shut case had suddenly become too weak to pursue. But some clung to the hope that Henderson would be convicted anyway.
2: After all, no Ripper murders had been committed since his arrest. The Ripper had been killing nearly one woman each week.
0: Now a whole month had passed without any more bodies turning up on the streets. This seemed to prove that either Henderson or Huff was responsible for the chain of attacks.
2: The city awaited Henderson's trial with bated breath, but before he could see his day in court, the unthinkable occurred.
5: I can't believe Mary stood us up like that. I know! We've been planning this walk for weeks, and she loves the train tracks. She really does. Ugh. Ew, what's that smell? <sighs> I-, I don't know, but... Smells like death.
0: (gasps) Oh, my God! That's Mary! On August thirty-first, 1911, the body of a 20-year-old black woman named Mary Ann Duncan was discovered near train tracks to the west of Atlanta.
2: Her throat had been cut from ear to ear, and her head had suffered some sort of blunt force trauma. Her shoes had also been stolen, just as in Sadie Hawley's murder from six weeks earlier.
0: It was clear to all that the Ripper was still loose on the streets. Despite the evidence against them, Henderson and Huff didn't seem to be killers after all. Just like that, all the hope that had sustained the city was lost.
2: Things were only going to get worse from here. At some point in late September, two police officers were called to the scene of a crime.
3: Officers coming through! She's over here! Oh my god! She looks...
1: Is she still alive?
5: Yes, she's trying to talk! I... I...
3: Miss Maddox, I'm an officer of the law. Can you tell us what happened?
5: He ran up behind me... and hit me, and then...
0: She's out. Let's get her to a hospital. A young cook named Ellen Maddox was attacked from behind on her way home from work. She was bludgeoned so severely that her head was nearly crushed and her face could not be recognized as human.
2: Her attacker had run away shortly after clubbing her, likely because many potential witnesses were nearby. She was rushed to a hospital but met her end there. It seems she was yet another victim of the Atlanta Ripper.
0: And only two weeks later, in early November, he struck again.
2: The body of Minnie Wise was discovered in the same field where two other Ripper victims had been found. She had been bludgeoned, slashed, and mutilated. Her shoes had been stolen, and the killer had chopped off a piece of her index finger.
0: With these three deaths, all hopes that the killer would soon be stopped were dashed. The dire situation the city found itself in finally began to draw national attention.
2: Police departments and law enforcement agencies from all over the United States wrote to Mayor Wynn offering their assistance in the investigation.
0: Yet, rather than be thankful, Mayor Wynn was offended. Embarrassed that these crimes were tarnishing his city's sterling reputation, one that he'd crafted, of course, he wrote a public statement to all involved. Atlanta is known
1: throughout the country as one of the most law abiding cities of its size in the United States and its police and detective departments are second to none.
2: Mayor Wynn rejected the help that was offered, defending his police department even in the midst of their failures.
0: Naturally, this upset the community in Black Atlanta. They began to insist the mayor hire Black detectives to prove that he was taking the issue seriously. However, this pushback would soon be forgotten.
2: Less than a week after Mayor Wynn wrote his public statement... Another body was found.
0: This young woman was so brutally murdered, she could not be properly identified. Her face had been beaten and her throat had been so deeply cut, her head was barely attached to the rest of her body.
2: To make matters worse, the poor woman had been gruesomely disemboweled. The killer had also removed her heart and placed it next to her body, a garish display of his violence for all to see.
0: With this horrid escalation of brutality, frustration in Atlanta boiled over. The black community felt the police were not doing enough. The government felt the black community was being too pushy by asking for black police officers. And the police themselves felt that they were being blamed for something far outside of their control.
2: As the police department tried to defend its failures, it attempted to shift the blame to the black community. One detective told reporters, quote... You can't trace the murderer with dogs, and there are no clues around the body.
3: We find out who she was intimate with, who her lover was, and that's about all that any man can find out, unless he could get down in among the black population and hear the talk that is going on. Their acquaintances are afraid to talk, but if there was a little money slip them, we could find out invaluable clues, and I wager we would land the murderers.
0: The detective's statements were incendiary and loaded with bias but he had also identified the problem the Black community had pointed out months earlier. A Black police officer would likely have much better luck getting information, but the police department was unwilling to put that idea into action.
2: All the good faith that had been built between Black Atlanta and their government disappeared. Now they knew their police force would be unable to stop the killer, and they decided it was time to take things into their own hands.
0: The leaders of the black community raised even more money as a reward to any person who could lead to the Ripper's capture. They also advised all black women to stay off the streets at night, concluding, quote, venturing out at night means only to invite the monster's ravages.
2: Yet even this urging would do little to protect women. Over the next three months, three more victims would be slain by the unknown fiend.
0: In December... Zella Favors was found bludgeoned and slashed on her front porch. On January 20th of 1912, Pearl Williams was found with her neck cut from ear to ear. Then on February 17th, 1912, Alice Owens was discovered with her throat severed and her body mutilated.
2: Several arrests would be made for these murders. However, none of the suspects would ever be prosecuted, as there was never enough evidence to convict. To make matters worse, none were ever charged with any of the other Ripper murders.
0: In the midst of these killings, the Ripper also made it clear that he was relishing the terror that he was causing. For the first time, police received some communication from the Ripper himself, although the killer did not speak with the police in Atlanta. Instead,
2: he directed his message to the police department of Gainesville, a city in northeast Georgia.
1: Chief, I've got something for you. You're going to want to read
3: this. What's this? Says it's from Black Jack the Ripper.
1: I think it's from the Atlanta Ripper, sir.
3: Perhaps. Let's see what he has to say.
1: Dear sir, I
4: will soon visit your city. Undoubtedly, you have heard of my work here in Atlanta. It has not been a consequence to what I will do in Gainesville. (laughs) You had better prepare for me and see that the black women behave.
3: (laughs) Hilarious. Sir,
1: I don't see what's funny about that letter.
3: Look at that grammar. It's obviously fake. Whoever wrote this is just trying to spook our women. Nothing to worry about. I'm not so sure. It's nothing to worry about.
0: While Gainesville's chief of police was convinced the letter was a hoax, others weren't so sure. Word of the letter
2: spread throughout the state, and its threats were published in statewide newspapers. The women of Gainesville were petrified, and many refused to go outside after
0: dark. No women would be killed in Gainesville, but the state of Georgia would always wonder if the letter was a hoax or if the women had saved themselves with their caution. One thing was for sure. Whoever had written the letter had clearly achieved their goal of frightening the city.
2: With the Ripper's terror now spreading throughout the state, Atlanta's prosecutor's office decided once and for all to put the public's fears to rest.
0: They assembled a grand jury to examine every unsolved murder that had occurred over the previous few years. After two months of deliberating in secret, on March 3, 1912, the jury made this announcement. The jury declares that after a close study of the cases, each murder was committed by a different man and that in each case it was the result of jealousy following immoral conduct. In almost every instance, the woman killed was either separated from her husband or was single, at the same time being guilty of immoral conduct, and that it was almost every case the result of revenge following jealousy.
2: In a shocking conclusion, the jury had officially
0: declared that the Atlanta Ripper did not exist. Instead, it blamed the victims for their own deaths. This was particularly shocking and irresponsible when we considered that 24 different murders had occurred, and nearly all of them shared the same M.O. It
2: seemed the jury felt that by refusing to believe in the Atlanta Ripper they could stop him from killing. Unfortunately, this was not
0: the case. After this, the Ripper strikes again. And now, back to the story.
2: By March of 1912, at least 24 young black women had been murdered over the course of five years. Their deaths were largely attributed to an unidentified serial killer known by the moniker, the Atlanta
0: Ripper. However, on March 3rd, a grand jury concluded that the murders weren't the work of a serial killer. Rather, they attributed each murder to a different jealous lover who'd killed his girlfriend in revenge for infidelity.
2: But the murders were so strikingly similar and so frighteningly frequent that it seemed far more likely that the Ripper did exist. It looked as if the jury was simply trying to ignore the pattern so they could put the unsolved murders behind them. This tactic may have helped calm down the populace for a time. However, it did nothing to stop the violence.
0: On April 6, 1912, a 19-year-old woman named Mary Kate Sledge was found on the side of the road. Her skull was bashed in and her neck was slashed.
2: That same month, an unidentified 15-year-old girl was found floating in the river suffering similar injuries as the many who came before her. Soon after, a woman by the name of Marietta Logan was also discovered murdered.
0: It soon became clear to most of the city that the jury's declaration, true or not, had done nothing for them. Spurred on by this realization... The Atlanta PD pulled in a man who they declared was the Atlanta Ripper, sometime in August.
3: John Brown, huh? We've been looking for you for quite some time. I know, I know. I just don't know why. Because you're the killer, John. You're the Ripper. The Ripper? Me? No, I couldn't. I couldn't possibly. Really, John, think back to November 1911, Eva Florence. Ring any bells? Okay, okay. I killed Eva. I admit it. But I didn't kill the rest. I bet you could name the rest, couldn't you, John? Well, if you insist. There was uh, Della Reed uh, left on a trash pile. Good, good. Keep going.
2: John Brown was known around town for being mentally unstable and rather manic. When he was pulled in by police... He confessed to the murder of Eva Florence, yet denied any involvement in the Ripper killings.
0: Even though he denied involvement, John proved to have intimate knowledge of 12 of the killings. He named the locations where each of the bodies had been found, as well as the method of execution each had suffered.
2: John even proceeded to claim that he had witnessed two of the 12 murders firsthand. He gave gruesome and detailed accounts of the deaths, then claimed he had done nothing to stop them because the Ripper was just too scary.
0: John even showed the police his knife, the knife he claimed to have used to kill Eva. Strangely, that same knife had been found next to Eva's body and taken as police evidence. Yet somehow, John had found a way to get his knife back. Things
2: got even more interesting when word got out around town that John Brown had been arrested.
3: Evening, ladies. How can I help you?
5: Well, officer, I I heard that you brought in John Brown. I'm his wife.
3: Welcome to the station, ma'am. I'm afraid I can't let you see him at the moment.
5: No, no, I don't want to see him. I came to say I'm happy you brought him in. I think he did it. He killed all those poor women.
3: Wow. What makes you say that?
5: He's always been a little ill. On the night of Eva Florence's murder, he came home covered in blood. Without a word, he sat by the fire and cleaned it off. But that wasn't the only time. There were many a Saturday night where my husband returned home coated in blood.
3: Most of the Ripper killings happened on Saturdays. Exactly.
5: John Brown, my husband, is the Atlanta Ripper.
3: Oh my God. Uh, Excuse me? Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. Who might you be?
5: Me? Uh, I'm also John Brown's wife.
0: What? We're
5: We're both both John John Brown's Brown's
0: wives. wives. Two women arrived at the police station claiming to be John Brown's wives. They had each lived with John Brown at separate times, but each seemed to think that their husband and ex-husband was the Atlanta Ripper.
2: Their testimony seemed to have broken the case wide open. As word spread of John Brown's arrest, the papers began to theorize about his motivations.
0: They speculated that John Brown might be, quote, a modern bluebeard who had murdered a dozen wives. They claimed that he may have lived with each of his victims for a short time, thus motivating his murders as the Atlanta Ripper.
2: The police felt so confident that they had finally found their man. They convinced the prosecutor's office to take John Brown to trial in October 1912. But unfortunately, they weren't prepared for what the defense had in store.
3: Prosecution, you may present your
2: arguments.
1: John Brown confessed to one murder and knew intimate details about 12 others, his own wives. That's right, wives believe he's guilty. As far as I'm concerned, it's an open and
3: shut case. Defense, you may present your arguments.
0: My client is guilty, but not of murder. Rather, my client is guilty of being stark raving mad.
1: Oh, come on now.
0: Stark raving mad. So mad, in fact, that he would confess to crimes he didn't commit purely for the notoriety. The defense brought forth several witnesses, all of whom claimed that John Brown was merely a mentally deranged man who had a bad habit of bragging about things that he had nothing to do with. One witness even presented evidence to suggest that John Brown would confess to anything if enough pressure was placed upon him.
2: We don't have the specifics of this evidence available to us today, but at the time, the defense's argument must have been convincing. By the end of the trial, the jury declared John Brown not guilty. It seemed the Atlanta PD had failed to capture their ripper once again.
0: And thus, as 1912 ended and 1913 began, three more women met their ends at the hands of the Atlanta Ripper.
2: Not much information is available about the first two women killed in 1913, not even their names. However, the third victim was Laura Smith, and she was found in an alley with her throat cut and her corpse mutilated. The paper listed Laura as Ripper Victim number 19, even though 30 different murders had gone unsolved since 1909, all of which could arguably be attributed to the Atlanta Ripper.
0: However many you choose to attribute to the Ripper, it was all too clear that he had taken far too many lives.
2: By this point, the Atlanta Ripper had become so ever-present that his killings gathered less and less press attention, This no doubt drew the Ripper's ire, as he had clearly enjoyed causing panic in the past.
0: But in April of 1913, something else would happen in Atlanta that would steal his spotlight entirely.
2: On April 26, the body of 13-year-old Mary Fagan was found in the basement of the pencil factory where she worked. She had been beaten to death and sexually assaulted.
0: Yet while this killing may sound fairly similar to those slayings of the Atlanta Ripper, there was one key difference. Mary Fagan was white.
2: Her death and the ensuing investigation became a national phenomenon. The newspapers concentrated almost exclusively on Mary Fagan's murder for months afterward. Although 30 black women had been killed... The death of one white girl erased their memories from the public consciousness as the papers scrambled to solve this new mystery.
0: This stark discrepancy was made all the more clear when the Ripper claimed his next victim in August of 1913. Martha Ruffian was dragged from her home through a pea patch only to have her jugular vein sliced open. According to the
2: papers at the time, Martha marked the Atlanta Ripper's 20th overall victim, a grim milestone in the history of the city. Yet that milestone earned little more than a few sentences in the paper's back pages, while the papers focused on the murder of Mary Fagan.
0: The Black community mourned Mary Fagan's death along with the rest of Atlanta, but they also mourned their dashed hopes of ever catching the Atlanta Ripper.
2: Meanwhile, the Ripper himself seemed mostly put off by this turn of events. On March 7, 1914... In what was likely a bid for attention, the Ripper pulled the alarms of three fireboxes in a single part of town.
0: When firemen arrived at the fireboxes, they found a note attached to one of the alarms. The note was signed Jack the Ripper, and it possessed several threats.
4: I will cut the throats of every black woman I find wandering the streets at night. Even white women should start to fear me. And pawnbrokers, too. Don't even get me started on these idlers, drunkards, and homeless. All should fear my wrath.
2: With such an outlandish list of targets... It seemed clear the Ripper was attempting to draw attention back to his heinous murder spree. But he would soon find that even murders would fail to garner the attention they once did.
0: On July 19th, the Ripper possibly killed an unidentified woman and ditched her in the woods. Her throat and breasts had both been cut. On
2: July 21st, another Jane Doe was found ditched in a stream. She had been murdered with a gunshot to the head in a style reminiscent of some of the Ripper's earliest potential slayings.
0: Both of these killings garnered some attention, but the Ripper's heyday in the spotlight had long passed.
2: The Ripper's last known murder was on July 27th, when he is believed to have murdered a woman named Mary Rowland and ditched her body in the woods. Once again, the Ripper's killing failed to capture as much attention as it had in the past. It seemed the newspapers, the police department, and even the black community had given up all hope of ever catching the Atlanta Ripper.
0: Months passed without the appearance of either a word or a corpse from the Ripper. Because of this, many newspapers marked the death of Mary Rowland as the Ripper's final official kill.
2: From 1911 until approximately 1914, the Atlanta Ripper was said to have killed anywhere between 15 and 21 victims, although these numbers are largely up to interpretation. Some put the Ripper's potential kills as high as 36.
0: However, as the Ripper was never caught, we'll never know how many deaths this serial killer was responsible for, or if a singular killer ever really existed at all.
2: Looking back at the case of the Atlanta Ripper, it seems there are two main theories. First, that the Atlanta Ripper was indeed one person whose signature method of murder inspired copycat killers here and there. Second, that the Atlanta Ripper never truly existed at all, and that the murders were committed by different people.
0: Most of these killings had pretty startling similarities. The victims were always young black women. She would often be bludgeoned before having her throat slashed and her body mutilated in some way. Then she would be discarded near some train tracks, all of which would most often happen on a Saturday night.
2: The similarities certainly fit the description of a serial killer's M.O. Additionally, serial killers tend to target victims they believe are most vulnerable, and it would be difficult to argue that black women in Atlanta in the early 1900s were not vulnerable.
0: If the Ripper was a single person, it's possible he was one of the identified suspects, John Henderson or John Brown. Even though both were released or found not guilty in a court of law, it's possible the courts got it wrong.
2: The second theory posits that no such serial killer existed at all. Instead, one man murdered one woman, and the newspaper coverage of the gruesome crime inspired different men to commit their own
0: murders. This was the theory originally decided upon by Atlanta's grand jury on the subject. They seemed to believe that each killer was motivated by jealousy and designed his killing to look like the work of another man. Well, Wendy,
2: which theory do you think is the most likely?
0: I think it's most likely that the Atlanta Ripper was a single person and that John Brown, the mentally unstable man who confessed to at least one murder, may very well have been the Ripper himself. The similarities between the murders are just far too striking for them to be unrelated, and John Brown's intimate knowledge of the crimes indicates he knew far more about them than his unstable mind might suggest.
2: I agree. I think the Atlanta Ripper was a single person. However, I don't believe John Brown was the Ripper because he was found not guilty in a court of law. I believe the jury must have had some evidence available to them that is not available to us today, That evidence very well may exonerate John Brown, and instead, I believe the actual Ripper was never arrested or tried at all.
0: Whatever the case may be, the Atlanta Ripper slayings are both deeply tragic and loaded with historical significance. They demonstrate how severely racism impacted the everyday lives of Black Americans in the early 1900s, and showed how little sway they had in their own governance at the time.
2: The tale of the city is tragic in and of itself as well. As black and white Atlanta tried to come together to fight a common enemy, prejudices soon got in the way, and racial tensions almost ended up worse than they had been before.
0: Not only did the Atlanta Ripper rip apart the throats of innocent women, He also ripped apart any hopes Atlanta had of achieving true community.
2: Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on the Atlanta Ripper... Amongst the many sources we used, we found The Atlanta Ripper, The Unsolved Case of the Gate City's Most Infamous Murders by Jeffrey Wells, extremely helpful to our
0: research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify.
2: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like Unsolved Murders, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Unsolved Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar.
2: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and
0: Twitter at Parcast Network.
2: We'll see you next time.
0: Yeah, if we live till next time.
2: Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Giles Hofseth, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Bill Butts, Tiana Camacho, Joe Hernandez, Kai Jordan, Harris Markson, and Rebecca Thomas. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy.